You're listening to episode 47 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about what it's like to be a spiritual mama and, if you haven't had a kiddo yet, a bit about if parenthood is right for you. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Okay, y'all, the other weekend, I did two day-long retreats back to back. It was amazing. It was also expensive, not because of the retreat costs themselves. Those were actually compassionately affordable, but because I had to hire a babysitter to go meditate. So hundreds of dollars a day just to meditate. If I didn't need meditation to keep my shit together, I am sure I would not have paid that much. But I'd already not been meditating as regularly as usual since COVID hit and my sitters went AWOL and my kid was always home. I already had dropped into some serious depression in the winter and then started to feel better the past few months because of my routines, the healing power of Hawaii, and committing to regular meditation practice again. I knew I needed to retreat and had the chance that weekend, so I went for it. But I know not all mamas can afford to do that, and I know I haven't always been able to afford to do that. So what's a spiritual mama to do? And I know you papas out there need this too, so use from this what you can as well, all right? How can we be so bold as to attain enlightenment while doing laundry? The conditions in which we live will unquestionably have an effect on our spiritual life, yeah? Being spiritual in a very secular, material society is hard. Being a mama is demanding too, so anyone who chooses to combine these things is committing themselves to a more challenging life, and it's important not to underestimate this. But it also doesn't mean deep spiritual growth as a parent should be written off. If you choose to become a mother, then it's possible to work creatively with the conditions of family life, which can present lots of opportunities for spiritual growth and development on your path. Now, being raised in a Catholic environment where people were encouraged to have as many kids as possible, I was sort of surprised to see that within Buddhism, there wasn't an easy niche into which family life fit. And in some settings, there seemed to be no place for family at all. And having one wasn't particularly highly valued, per se. I mean, even historically, Buddha went from family life to being homeless. But just FYI, Later, he did marry and even had a child, which isn't spoken about much. Rahula was the only child of Buddha and his wife, Princess Yashodara. So there's that to remember, y'all, okay? Anyway, in some texts, the householder life is described as cramped and dusty. Not so sexy, right? Not even spiritually sexy. (laughs) And the monastic life asks one to not get married or have intimate relationships or birth children. So the place of family life and motherhood within Buddhism is in contrast to that found in other religions, like Christianity, where, for example, marriage is specifically for the procreation of children. 
And within Catholicism, there's the worship of the Virgin Mary. And in various New Age spiritual groups, motherhood's given this inherently spiritual status, like part of the transition through maiden, mother, queen, and crone, right? But the Buddhists seemed to grok early on that having a family made shit harder, right? Especially when it came to attaining enlightenment, not just in having time to meditate or do retreats, but also in the attachments we form with our kids and families. When I was exploring different Buddhist groups, I'd hear some lay people say, oh, it's not possible to make spiritual progress as a mother. Or other people would have opinions like consciously choosing to have children was a backward step or not acceptable if one was really serious about their spiritual practice. Now, I didn't have my kid until I was 40, so I had some time to cultivate my practice beforehand. After I had my daughter, I sort of gave up the idea of rapid, deep spiritual progress, in this life at least. But then I found out about Deepa Ma. One time I was complaining to one of my teachers that it was so much harder for me to progress spiritually since I became a mama. I'd mostly heard of spiritual attainments occurring during these highly praised long retreats, like three months minimum to multi-year retreats, right? And it seemed the past few years, aside from some long weekend backpacking trips with girlfriends, my solo time was hard to come by. I was getting in 10, 20 minutes of meditation a day, yoga a few times a week, and then only if I was able to sleep more than six hours, because otherwise I'd be too tired, right? I regretted not going to India and doing three-month retreats when I had the opportunity before I had a kid. So I asked this teacher, whom I really trusted, what should I do? It didn't feel right to do a long retreat anytime soon. My daughter at the time was only four. I wasn't going to leave her for a long retreat, not even just for a month, not yet. But I was wanting to know, should I? Or maybe later in her tweens. Oh, wait, then I might miss being around for when she gets her period. Or maybe as a teen. Oh, wait, but then I might not be around when she decides to have sex with the bad boys because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? (laughs) So my teacher then asked me, have you ever heard of Deepa Ma? And I hadn't. She said, Deepa Ma is a teacher whose specialty was helping householders cultivate their practice and helping them see that spiritual attainments were possible, even as a stay-at-home mom. Deepa Ma was born in 1911 in a small village in Chittagong, East Bengal, which was then in British India, but now is a part of Bangladesh. And in a book I read about her by Amy Schmidt, It talks about how even in her childhood, she showed an unusual interest in Buddhist rituals and preferred to study instead of play. So she always had this desire for furthering her spiritual practice. However, she was married at the age of 12 and ended up living with her husband in Rangoon, right? They moved to Burma where he had to work. Fortunately, She talks about him as a really kind husband who didn't force her to have sex at a young age. And in 1929, when she was 18, her mother died unexpectedly, leaving behind a baby boy named Bajoy, which she and her husband took to raise in Burma since they didn't have a child yet. And when she was 35, she gave birth to her first child, a baby girl, who fell ill and died at three months of age. Then four years later, in 1950, she gave birth to another daughter, Deepa, which is when she started to be called Deepa Ma, mother of Deepa, because her daughter's survival was such a momentous event. 
And she had some other pretty big tragedies happen in her life. She gave birth to her first son, who also died. And then her husband, whom she loved, suddenly died in 1957. And then she started to develop chronic physical pains that were debilitating. Another reminder that it's often the challenges in life that really hold us to the fire and transform us when we let it, right? Some people call it shaman sickness, the suffering requisite to spiritual transformation, but that's for another pod, right? So anyway, she is a very respected spiritual teacher. And in the 70s, Deepa Ma taught many of the folks you may have heard of and even follow, like Sylvia Borstein, Joseph Goldstein, Jack Hornfield, Michelle Levy, Sharon Salzberg. And when I read her book, I could really relate to her strong desire to meditate and study spiritual teachings. I had almost become a nun, twice. I'll tell that story in a bit. (laughs) But I know that many of my students in Freedom School also express this, how they wish they could go on long retreats or have more time to dig into teachings, but parenthood gets in the way. The gift I received from reading about Deepa Ma was how she turned her everyday life into spiritual practice and how she also made sure she made time for it every day. You see, one of the things I see a lot in clients that I coach in Freedom School is this idea of either or thinking, as if things are either one or the other with no middle ground, where it's either spiritual growth or motherhood, enlightenment or a happy family. But in these scenarios, we often can find a middle way, right? Now, Deepa Ma wasn't just like, Oh, be mindful when you change diapers and when you wash dishes, or watch your thoughts when your children make you angry and see how the mind works, or use the love of your children to cultivate compassion and loving kindness for all people. You can see what is possible with your kids. No, while it is important for all people, not just mothers, to maintain mindfulness in all tasks and use them for growth, I mean, Zen centers are famous for this, right, for encouraging this practice, and they have tons of stories in their lineage about enlightenment while sweeping or doing dishes, right? But Deepa Ma didn't just say that. Of course, those things are important. But she also said, you need to go to bed early and wake up before your children do so you can get your meditation practice in. She talked about committing to your practice. Waking up in the dark and getting in one to two hours of meditation before her children woke up, she would teach other mothers in Calcutta, where she later moved, the importance of prioritizing spiritual practice and doing what it takes. I mean, that's what I did during my doctoral program. I got up that early to get shit done before my kiddo woke up so I didn't lose a bunch of time with her. So why wasn't I doing it for my spiritual practice? Now, Deepa Ma did do some longer retreats, especially when her child was a little older. And actually, when her child was young, she left her child for an extended period of time with someone else. And I was a little bit disappointed at first in that, like it was more proof that you needed to do longer retreats. But she actually did find a balance between family life and spiritual life. And we don't have to do it exactly like Deepa Ma did, right? The whole idea behind being a rebel Buddha, right? This podcast isn't so that you are a rebel Buddhist, per se, even though that's what it's called. It's so that we can find our own rebel Buddhahood that's within all of us. And we do that by cultivating our own path, right? But Deepa Ma would alternate between being home and going on retreat. 
And just as an aside, she wasn't a trust funder either, okay? (laughs) All right, she was like a single parent, okay? In Calcutta. Anyway, as an aside, while it's clear her daughter missed her while she was gone, her daughter didn't end up hating her for going on these retreats. She actually joined her at her retreat centers later in life and became a serious practitioner herself. I just thought that that would be good to know. So what's interesting for me is that once I decided to commit to prioritizing my spiritual practice as part of putting family first, the idea of family first, including me as part of that family and my spiritual growth, I started to find more ways that a spiritual family life was possible that worked for me. I found a local Dharma school that met once a month for kids and parents. I found a mindfulness retreat for families. I found books about teaching kids mindfulness and sitting together as a family. And I started booking seven to 10-day retreats for myself at least twice a year. This changed everything. To have that time where I spent a week not just to adventure in the mountains or explore the ocean, which I'd always made time for and felt justified about, but to dedicate to my mind and my spiritual practice. That was a game changer. The progress I made on those retreats was amazing. It was like I was this seed waiting to sprout and was struggling and struggling to break through for years. And finally, I'd started to break through. Being a dedicated practitioner, whether it's to yoga or meditation or whatever your practice is, and a mother are inextricably linked. One will impact the other. Honestly, I can't imagine being a parent without the framework of my practice to meet all the challenges and demands of parenting. The dharmas definitely made me a better parent, and my goal is to bring up my kiddo as well as possible so she can become a kind fiercely compassionate and aware human being with an ethical framework and an understanding that actions have consequences. And living in a family has also provided me with a ton of opportunities for practicing, right? So maybe now's a good time for me to tell you a bit about when I almost became a nun. I know, you're like, what the what? But it's true. This whiskey-drinking, model-wearing, sexually liberated mama almost became a nun. Twice but I'll just tell you about the first time. I was in the Himalayas wrapping up a month-long retreat when I was, I think I was 20. And I had this realization, like, what else freaking matters? This is what's most important, the spiritual path. So a few of my fellow retreatants had decided to become ordained, and I was so excited too. But I knew I had to go to the mountains to get clear, since this was a big decision, and I was taking it really seriously. I know that some people choose to become a monk or nun for a year or two or something like that, but I was seeing it as this lifelong path. So I went and hiked the Annapurna Circuit solo at the end of the season with snowstorms and dangerous crossings at high passes. One was the Torong La at just under 18,000 feet, and it was out there that I got clear that because I was so introverted, because I was so scared to be in the real world, that my spiritual growth would actually be more juicy if I didn't hide away in a nunnery. For me, at least, that would be the easy way to hide away. My growth was to be found in messy relationships, in struggling with materialism, in reckoning with my heart and the challenges of family life, in the murky waters of my adventures with 
and misadventures with drugs and alcohol and where I'd arrive after I'd learned what I needed to learn. So I returned to the monastery where I had been doing the retreat. I watched my friends take their vows and came back to the United States to wrap up my undergraduate education at UC Santa Cruz. And then I became a full-time climbing guide, living out of my car and returning to Nepal seasonally to work and exploring how spirituality fit into this unconventional life I was living. So I've always considered myself a Buddhist first and a mother second, which means that my guiding principles were found in my spiritual practice, even my decision to become a mother and the decisions I made and how I interacted with my daughter once I was a mother. As a spiritual woman choosing to have a kid, it's important to be as clear as possible about our conditioning and motivation to conceive, okay? From my perspective, I certainly didn't want to become a mother because I yearned to be a mother per se. It was deeper than that even. And a lot about my next level of spiritual growth and my contribution to the world. Family life is time-consuming and tiring and takes a lot of our energy. That's not bullshit. (laughs) It also has responsibilities like the economic demands of raising children and the fact I would need an income that provided for the needs of my family. So working at a whole new energy around it and felt like an even heavier demand on my time and energy. And like I said earlier, it's a lot harder to go on retreat and engage in activities with your spiritual community like that. For example, at the local Zen center, my husband and I couldn't go sit together because one of us always had to stay with our kid. Bigger communities have support like childcare during meditation sits, but in our area, there aren't any huge Buddhist centers that offer that. But on the flip side, like I said earlier, being a mother can bring a lot of opportunities for spiritual growth. It's a maturing and grounding process that develops a sense of responsibility Parenting's a lifelong commitment, which you have to follow through with. It's this like sacred contract, whatever challenges may arise. It helps you to develop a flexible and adaptable attitude because children are constantly changing and challenging you, really challenging you, and causing shifts in your intimate relationships as well. Since you have less free time during the day, it requires you to constrain and prioritize how you use your time. And these are all important things. Being a mother provides a ton of opportunities for spiritual growth if you can be creative and use the experiences. Just like, mama or not, we are encouraged to take challenges and obstacles and use them for our spiritual growth to learn how our mind works. The Tibetans, which is the tradition I first studied in, described family life as a 20-year retreat. Well, I think there's some truth in this if, if you don't have to work full-time in a regular job as well as bring up children. When you have to work full-time and manage family life, the retreat aspect gets a little lost, it seems, right? But in terms of the depth of learning available, yes, deep, deep, deep. Ultimately, being a mother is one long practice of letting go and helps us cultivate a more flexible approach to life and to practice letting go, as we have to with each stage of development our kids go through, letting go of the chubby baby feet, of them wanting to cuddle with you, of them wanting to even be near you all the time. 
Motherhood can also give you opportunities to deepen and expand the maternal love you feel into genuine metta by expanding that love to include others. In the Karaniya Metta Sutra, the Buddha says, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. And it's easier to engage in this practice if we have at least a felt experience of this kind of love. And motherhood can help with that. It's not the only way to have this felt experience, but it helps. Metta has many similarities with mama bear love. Both are intense, nurturing, and selfless. So as a mother, you can work to extend your love so it's no longer self-referential, right? And it becomes limitless. What's the best path a spiritual mama or papa can take? I think it's important to find ways to bring aspects of your practice, like mindfulness and metta, into ordinary daily activities, right? Like I mentioned earlier, like doing the laundry, cooking, ironing. If you do that, I can't even remember the last time I ironed something, um, the time you spend with your kids. It's also important to have regular time when you can more deeply engage with your practice. For me, I take one day-long retreat a month and one longer retreat at least twice a year. For others, it's one day a week where they can do a longer meditation practice in addition to their shorter daily practice so they can really drop in to deeper levels of practice. It's also key to cultivate connections with women who have children and those who have chosen a different lifestyle. It's hard as a lone rebel wolf, yeah? I want to encourage you to also consider starting a Kalyanamita group. I would complain how there was no group that meditated regularly in my community outside of Sunday sits, right? So my teacher said, well, maybe you need to start one then. So I started the day-long retreats at our yurt once a month and invited anyone who wanted to come. It's helpful to be the steward of that and to have that responsibility around it. It reminded me how I am prioritizing my spirituality in my life. In the end, the world is more front and center when you bring up kids, and you will need confidence, that ZG, that radiant inner confidence and self-reliance. Also, make no mistake, the amount of time and energy that being a mother takes is a lot if you're listening to this, contemplating if motherhood is right for you or not, it's important to remember this. I think this is actually the main point to consider when thinking about having children or even entering into any intimate relationship that is going to draw time and energy from you. I like to ask myself, is this going to help me evolve spiritually or not? For me, that's what makes anything worth it. And there is no right answer. You have to ask that for yourself. There is no right or wrong answer to that. When you are a parent, life is a constant juggling act between competing demands. In life, when we make any decision, we're saying yes to one thing and no to another, right? I do this with my students in freedom school, like when they're having trouble making a decision. Okay, well, what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to? Let's stop pretending that we can do it all and have it all. And we don't have to necessarily feel bad about the things we're saying no to. Maybe it feels good, right? So when choosing to have children, 
your ability to practice will be affected. You will have to say no to some things, but you don't have to say no to it all. It doesn't have to be either or. However, you will need to be willing to embrace the tension between the demands of family life and your urge to engage individually and collectively with your spiritual practice and community as well. This is ongoing, right? It doesn't go away. So you have to be willing to work with it as part of your practice and experience. We also can't gloss over the fact that Buddha wandered homeless. It's hard to understand that level of letting go as a householder. This is why I'm so grateful that I was able to cultivate these aspects of my practice to some degree before I had a kid. So if you haven't had one yet, go do that shit, right? (laughs) But Deepa Ma also showed us it's possible as a householder. That's why it's so important to study with teachers that have also been mothers. Mamahood can be a rich and fertile soil for spiritual growth. It can provide a ton of valuable opportunities for practice. It's a path of loving and letting go. And so is the rest of life, right? This is all available to you without being a mother as well. But if you've chosen spiritual mamahood, then the take home here is that you have to prioritize it. Family first, you are a part of that family too, and your spiritual growth benefits the entire family. It takes some fierce mama bear energy to protect your own opportunities for spiritual growth. Drawing the boundaries at home so you have time to meditate, carving out time to go on longer retreats, getting over your own shizzle about how everything will fall apart if you leave for a little bit. With the right preparation, it won't. Having the discipline not to buffer at night with things that don't truly help you relax, like over-drinking and over-Netflixing late into the night, so, so that you do have the energy and time to wake up early so you can go deeper into your practice. The thing that will help you ultimately relax in the truest sense of the word. Using the challenges of motherhood to help you grow. Using them to examine your mind, your beliefs, your attachments, and aversions. And ultimately, realizing you are not your motherhood. You are so much more. You've always been so much more. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.